Now we are coming to the end, as I said, of our study in the life of Samson. This is sermon number five in the life of Samson. Uh, Samson is one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, I think you would agree with me. Many books, films, and plays, and even poems have been made about Samson. Children's books and Sunday school lessons are full of illustrations of Samson's strength. The story of Samson fascinates us, and I was coming to the end, I was thinking, why does the story of Samson fascinate not only believers, but also non-believers? I think it fascinates us because, in some sense, it is so modern. Uh, Samson leaps off the page of the scripture like one of the celebrities we meet, we see on TV or on these reality shows. Uh, the newspapers love celebrities, don't they? They love celebrities, and, and when they explain to us celebrities, they particularly like celebrities who are so excellent in what they do, but have a deeply flawed character, especially when it comes to matters of sex and relationship. That's, that's why the public loves Samson, because you know, it reminds us of some of the characters we see in our tabloids. We think of you, Grant, don't we? Being caught with that prostitute, Divine Brown, many years ago. We think of Tiger Woods and his many women. Samson sits alongside these characters. We think now, currently, of Avi Weinstein. In many ways, Samson is so similar to these great people, but with a deeply flawed character, especially when it comes to women. The popular quote about Samson is that he's a he-man with a she-weakness. He's a he-man with a she-weakness. Some of you have been waiting for that popular line, so there you go, for what it's worth. A he-man with a she-weakness. But I hope as we have been going through Judges, uh, we are all growing and appreciating that there is more to Samson than that quote. The story of Samson is actually about Jesus. It is about how Jesus delivers us from the slavery of evil. Samson shows us that all of us are under the power of evil. But God in his rich mercy sets us free from evil in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus this evening, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then God has set you free from evil. From the power of evil. But even though God has set you free from the power of evil, the devil, you need, we need to still hear this truth because the devil does not want you to know this amazing freedom you have in Jesus. The devil is working very hard to enslave people and to make believers who are free live under the pretensions of his slavery. So my task this evening is very simple. As we come to the end of this life of Samson, I want to encourage you this evening, those of you who are truly trusting in Christ, to hold on to that freedom you have in Jesus. And I want to trust those of you who are still trying to decide in Jesus for me to see that there is nothing better than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to Him we must trust. We need the freedom that He provides. So let's see how this final concluding episode of Samson encourages us in these areas. Look with me at verse 21 of Judges chapter 16. And the first point in your outline we learn from this passage is that evil 
enslaves us all. Evil enslaves us all. Now we have seen in Judges chapter 13 to 15 that God has raised up, as we've been saying, Samson has a deliverer of Israel. A one-man army. I mean, not quite like a rumble figure, but he's there. He's one man, mercenary, taking on the Philistines. But we saw also from the start that Samson is what? A walking scandal. I mean, evil dominates his life. And particularly those of you who are here this morning, you saw how Samson plunged further in sin, helped by Delilah. Verse 1 to verse 21 explains that. Well, now Samson has been captured. We saw that this morning, and we see it again in verse 21. Samson has been captured by the Philistines in verse 21. Let's read that. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. It is not enough for the Philistines just to, to put hot metal rods in Samson's eyes. They've done that. They've taken his eyes out. Very painfully, of course, for Samson. But they want to humiliate him by making him work as a slave. Do you know when they came to Delilah, what did they say? They said, tell us, get him to tell, you, to tell us his strength so that we may do what? Humble him. And they want to humiliate him. And this is what they're making him do, grounding at the mill. It's mostly done by women or an animal even. He's being worked out like an animal. And this terrible torture of Samson has gone on for so long now that Samson's heir is growing long again. Look at verse 22. But the heir of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. We'll come back to that. But it seems, though, the point the author is making is that not only have they been eliminated for so long, now his hair is even growing now. He's no longer a threat, so they allowed him even his hair, which they worked hard to cut, of course, with the barber of Gaza. But now they've allowed it to grow. He's no longer a threat. They've humiliated him, and they're letting him be. But they have not forgotten about him. What they're now doing is they're preparing a celebration. Uh, they want all the leaders now to gather and to congratulate themselves for capturing uh, Samson and humiliating him, and to pay homage to Dagon, their God. Look at verse 23 to verse 24. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God, that is Dagon, has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. They worship their God, really. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Now let us know that what they're doing here is they're having a party, celebrating the capture of Samson. But we should be under no illusion that this is just an armless party. No, Dagon is the god of fertility. This is their idol. And... Like all idol worship, what they are really doing is demonic worship. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, what does it say? What pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And Paul warned the Corinthians, 
I do not want you to be participants with demons. I mean, this is not very politically correct, but it's the truth. The truth is that all false religions worship demons. This is the case with Islam. It is the case with Hinduism. It is the case with any other religion. It isn't simply a competing of worldviews. No. The Bible is clear that behind all of these false religions is a demon or demonic worship. It is demonic. The Bible says the only true God is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here that the Philistines are not just bowing down to demons. They are claiming this Dagon, this demonic figure, has defeated Samson and by extension defeated the God of Israel. That's what they claim now. Now, we know back story, don't we? And they know that as well. We know this is foolish. Because we know how Samson has been captured. He's been captured by them, you know, <laughs> pumping money on Delilah and then Delilah hoodwinking Samson. So there's nothing magical about what's happened to him. But more importantly, we know that God has given up Samson. And that he's in the hands of the Philistines because God wants to discipline Samson. So he's a Lord God of Israel, the one true God that has given up Samson. And they, they know this as well, to some degree. But they seem blind to it. Let us note here clearly that this is what sin has done to all human beings. You see, sin not only wrecks a person spiritually, but it also wrecks us intellectually. We might even say sin is anti-intellectual. What I mean by that is that our sinful nature has degraded our capacity to think clearly about God and our situation. When, when Adam fell, it's not just that we put on a sinful nature. We put everything about us, even our thinking, became corrupted. And this is why it is very hard to even reason with people to make them see their sin and to make them repent, to, 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 to challenge them about their repentance. Why? Because a sinner doesn't think right even about himself. Is blind to the truth, just as the Philistines here are blind to the truth. Only God can open the eyes of sinners. People are born spiritually foolish. And even us, when we double in sin, if we come to faith in Christ, if we are doubling in sin, we are really pumping foolish stuff in our minds. The way for us to think clearly about life is to be led by the Spirit of God. And so here, though, we see the Philistines drunk in their own spiritual vomit. They now turn their attention to Samson. They want him to entertain them. Look at verse 25. And when their hearts were merry, and they're very drunk at this point, they said, call Samson. You can imagine just one of these lords say, oh, bring out, bring out Samson. Let him do his stuff. So they said, they call out Samson that he may entertain us. So verse 25 goes on to say, they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. I just want to flag up there an important line in that verse. The important line in this verse is that, and he entertained them. The point the author of Judges is making is that Samson is now a slave in Dagon's temple. 
What a shame. What humiliation. The evil that Samson entertained in his life has now turned him into a clown. But Samson is not in Dagon's temple alone. All of us are there with him. We are all there with him. Because you see, this blind and enslaved Samson is really a picture of all human beings. The Bible says all of us are born spiritually blind and handcuffed in sin, and we live in servitude to the devil. 2 Corinthians, uh, if you turn with me there, chapter 4, verse 4 says this, In their case, speaking of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded, like Samson really has blinded, the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. We are, they are blind and encased under Satan's dominion. They can't see the light of Christ. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he that is Jesus himself likewise took, partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, listen to this, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The author of Hebrews is reminded that non-believers inherently are in this lifelong slavery. They are encased under Satan's dominion. In other words, all human beings by default are standing toe-to-toe with Samson, prisoners to the devil and his demons, who dances over them because of his victory in their captivity. But there is hope here, isn't there? There is hope for all of us because of the second truth we learn in this passage. The first truth is that sin, evil, enslaves us all. Evil enslaves us all. But here's the good news. The good news is that God destroys the slavery of evil. God destroys the slavery of evil. Look at this. Samson is blind. He's now the clown of Gaza. And after a while, he can't take it anymore. He's had enough. So he has what we might say a commercial break. He needs a bit of light relief uh, to rest a bit. Look at verse 26 to 27. And Samson said to the young man, because he's being held, he's blind, so somebody's holding his hand. He said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. It is worth noting, just an important point here, that archaeological evidence, again, proves the Bible is very reliable. Archaeological evidence backs up what the Bible says here about Philistine temples. Uh, excavations in various places, including Tel Bethshin and Tel Kassel, uh, they show exactly what is described here, large building. Uh, these temples were large temples with an open courtyard and a, even a large roof where you can see sacrifices. And this temple is packed with 3,000 people. They were this big. So the Bible is very reliable. Time and time again, as you read it, archaeologists are finding that what the Bible talks about really happened. So we see that they are packed in there, 3,000 of them. They've come to watch Samson. 
But Samson, has had enough. He's not performing anymore. He started to pray to God. He closes his eyes, perhaps, and prays. Look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. You know, I think it's Richard Baxter who said, Suffering and both the door of the heart saw the word as an easier entrance. Sometimes God allows us to suffer, bring us to the end of ourselves so that we may be more attentive to what God is telling us, maybe more attentive to his words, so that we may repent. Suffering is often a gift from God to draw us to himself. And it seems to be happening here to Samson. God is knocking on his heart through literally removing his eyes. And Samson has answered God's knock on the door. And he's now pleading to God. And it is a heartfelt prayer. Let's read it again in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. He's pleading for God's mercy and says that I may be avenged. What he's saying is I need justice against my enemies. Listen. If you are trusting in Jesus... You always have access to God. Always. Wherever you are, and in whatever situation. You may be blinded by your situation. You may be sinking in sin or some situation you may find yourself in. But God is not blind to your situation. And you may have wandered so far away from God that you feel you are in the belly of Dagon covered in the merry bog of sin, without any hope in the world. But if you are in Jesus, my dear friend, grab this truth in both hands. You are never so far away from God that is beyond your reach. You are only a breathless prayer away. And wasn't Jonah sinking there? And wasn't Jonah inside the belly of the fish when God delivered him? Friend, God never shuts the door to his people. So whatever issue you have got, come to God. He will hear you. And Samson knows this truth, so he's leaning on the mercy of God, pleading for God's help, and God answers him. Notice here, by the way, that Samson steps out in faith. This is why Samson is mentioned in Hebrews, because he has prayed, he knows the prayer is legitimate, and he doesn't need to wait for God, really. He knows God has answered him, and he's stepping out in faith. Look how he does this in verse 29. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them. His right hand on the, the one and his left hand on the other. It's almost like this, you know, one here, one there. He's holding them. And then he prays to God. He says, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. The pillars have given way. The temple has collapsed. The rulers and other people are completely crushed. Yahweh has smashed Dagon. It is a great victory achieved by God through the self-sacrifice of Samson. And we may be thinking, well, what's happened here? As Samson may be like, is this divine euthanasia? As, as Samson perhaps more committed suicide, you know? 
Samson has sacrificed himself. Samson is like a father who, who, who sees you know, the car running towards the daughter and the father puts himself in front of the car to save this child from death. Samson is like that soldier, isn't it? Their army is being attacked and he runs in the front and, and sacrifices himself so that his, his, his troops could be saved. Samson is laying down his life for his people and for God's honor. And the concluding verse shows us that, doesn't it? Well, we know God answers his prayer. That again is showing his self-sacrifice. But even the concluding verse tells us. Look how verse 30 ends. So the dead whom we killed at his death were more than those whom we killed during his life. And God honors that. Look at verse 31. By the way, you should know this point. This point I've been thinking about throughout the week. God honors a repentant heart. When we repent and turn to him, and we commit our ways to him. God honors that. And God has honored Samson here with a magnificent, wonderful burial. You know, you can imagine, like, everyone has been crushed. You can't even identify bodies. <laughs> I mean, the Lord of Gaza, probably no one is there to collect him. But look at verse 31. Then his brothers, now freed from the oppression of the Philistines and all his family. Now we even find out he had brothers. It's amazing, by the way, notice that Mrs. Manoa, God opened her womb. It's a bit like Mary, isn't it? God, you know, gave Mary the, the Lord Jesus, a miraculous incarnation. And Mary, of course, then goes on to have more children. Oh, and we're coming to that point, interesting enough. But notice here that Manoah goes on to have more children, of course, brothers. And these brothers, I know his family, have come down from Mahanadan. And they took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal. In the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 21 years. Just an interesting note there, of course, that perhaps when we thought about what happened this morning, we didn't touch on it. But Manoah and his, ma- and his wife, perhaps, have died at this point. And perhaps if Ms. Manoah was there when he was playing around with Delilah, I'm sure she would have put his ears. But she, 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 they've passed away, it seems, at this point. But God is gracious to Samson. Because he has enabled Samson, this man who was born as a judge, to now die as a judge. And notice there in verse 30, it says, Through his death, God triumphs over Dagon and secures the freedom of Israel from the Philistines. Samson has delivered Israel from more Philistines in his death than he did during his life. And he has killed all their leaders. All their leaders. What precious Victory. And the amazing thing as we think about the life of Samson is that God has done all of these things for Israel. Not because Samson deserves it. Not because Israel deserves it. No. Remember at the beginning of chapter 13, the people didn't even cry out for a savior. Samson is a savior they did not ask for. But God out of his grace has given them Samson. And Samson has freed them from evil. And that brings us to our final lesson. Because the story of Samson is really our story. The final point we learn from this is that we ourselves are free in Jesus, our Samson. You see, the first point is that evil enslaves all of us. We are all enslaved by evil. But the good news of this story is that God destroys the slavery of evil. And why does that matter to you and me sitting here in Bethlehem? Well, it matters because we, if we're trusting in Jesus, we are free. Jesus is our Samson. 
This series in Judges has taken the words of our Lord Jesus in John 5 verse 39 seriously. What does that verse say? It says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. We have taken it seriously that all the judges, including Samson, points us to our Lord Jesus. And I hope as we have gone through the life of Samson, you have already seen for yourself the many beautiful portraits of Jesus. There are just so many of them. And I hope you've been pointing out, yeah, that, that points us a bit to Jesus. So a recap, in chapter 13, we see Samson chosen to be the savior of Israel before he is born. God, miraculously, as I said, opens the barren womb of Mrs. Manoah. In the same way, our Lord Jesus, our greater and better Samson, is born a savior. Jesus comes to us by God, miraculously opening Mary's virgin womb. You see how Samson points us forward to Jesus. In chapter 14 and 15, we saw the miraculous power of Samson. We saw Samson tear apart a lion. We said, what is that all about? And then he goes on to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Such miraculous show of strength. What is that about? Well, those things are pointing us forward to Jesus, the true lion of Judah, who crushes the pretending lion. Remember what Pastor Gavin talked about? That Satan rose, such a, Satan pretends to be this lion. Well, we see Samson pointing us forward to Jesus who crushes the lion. Jesus, you see, is the true lion of Judah. In chapter 15, we see Samson betrayed by his own people. And he was betrayed to a foreign power. Do you remember when the 3,000 men of Judah came? And they handed over Samson at Lehi, bound. Well, this points us forward to Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus comes into this world, betrayed by his own people. The Jews handing him over to the Romans. In chapter 16, we, we saw this morning Samson betrayed by Delilah for money. He's betrayed by someone so close to him. And I hinted on that point that it's very chance that even Delilah perhaps is Jewish, is an Israelite. Well, it doesn't matter. The big point is that Samson is betrayed by someone close to him. Well, our Lord Jesus was betrayed by someone close to him, by his disciple Judas. And how was he betrayed? For money. Not quite 1,500 pieces of silver. Just 30 pieces of silver. Shocking, isn't it? It took more money to betray Samson and he took our Lord of glory to be betrayed by Judas. Again, these events are pointing us forward to Jesus. There is more, and there are so many of them. Look, we have seen that Samson is blind. Isn't he blind here? He's blind and is being mocked in Dagon's temple. And then he's dragged there in Dagon's temple, and Samson, as we saw just now, willingly lays down his life. Oh, friends, our Lord Jesus has entered our Gaza, this sinful world, 
And how did he come had on those days that first Easter? He came in what? Blindfolded, mocked by soldiers, just like Samson. Jesus was torn and beaten and eventually crucified in weakness. See how Samson, his suffering points us forward to Jesus. And Jesus, though, friends, Samson he, there was beaten, blindfolded, beaten, eyes taken out for his own sins. But Jesus was not blindfolded for his sin, was not beaten for his sin. No, Jesus was beaten for our sins. And yet, in a strange way, like Samson, God was punishing him. Don't miss that. We talked about how God chastised Samson. Oh, God was punishing the Lord Jesus. Not for his sin, but for our sin. It is how amazing that Samson, even his own sin, points us forward to Jesus. Because Jesus comes as a sinless Savior who takes on our sin. And God must now punish him for our sin. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. We thought he was being punished by God for himself. But no, we thought he was smitten by God and afflicted. But no, verse 5 of Isaiah 53, verse 5 says. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed, not for his iniquities, but for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement, the discipline that brought us shalom, peace with God. Our Lord Jesus has not just died for our sins, friends. By his resurrection, he has broken the iron gates of our spiritual Gaza. Like Samson, he has ripped apart the gates and carried them. And displayed them as his trophy. The stone has been rolled away. Sin, Satan, and death are defeated. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you are now free. Paul writing to the church at Colossus says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus has plundered Dagon's kingdom and set captives free. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you are free. And you should let this truth comfort you. Satan has lost his grip on your life. You are now free from the power and control of Satan. But let this truth also direct how you live now. We need to get this. Jesus has set you free from Satan's grip. That's serious business. It is serious because you are now in Jesus. And because you are now in Jesus, Satan hates your life to the bone. Why does Satan hate you? Well, he hates you because your life now proclaims his defeat for all eternity. You know, when Satan looks at you, he's thinking to himself, he got away. She got away. Nah, I don't want to get into the Russian saga <laughs> and the whole issue around traitors. But in a way, it's no different if you believe the government story about the Russians. It is those people that ran away from Russia, traitors. And now it, we believe they are being hunted down. 
Well, that is Satan's posture to us. We have been planted from his kingdom, brought into the, in, in, from his domain, brought into Jesus. And Satan now constantly hunts us down. Now Satan knows he has already lost. He knows he can never have you back if you're trusting in Jesus. But he can do something more. He can render you impotent. He can entangle you in sin. Satan, you see, is like a woman scorned. <laughs> she, she's not going to have you back, but she's going to damage you and make sure that you are of no use to anyone else. And that's what Satan does. He unleashes everything he's got on you. He wants to render you ineffective for God. You thought when you became a follower of Jesus, life would be easier. You thought everything would just go on smoothly. But friends, your conversion was a declaration of war against Satan. And so since you became a believer, temptations have come thick and fast. Satan is using even every relationship, every blessing, everything to render you now and void. And you know, when you give in to those temptations, when you tolerate sin in your life, you are embracing the demonic slavery God has delivered you from. Imagine if the Israelites, after Samson brings down the house, now starts getting cozy with the Philistines to rebuild Dagon's ruined temple. Every time you tolerate sin, that is what we are doing. We are foolishly going back to the old life of slavery to evil. I mean, this is why we say good works don't get you to heaven. And you, you, you do good works because it's so foolish doing the opposite. It is madness to live in sin. And yet, if we are honest, we are all susceptible to this pool of darkness. You know, there are times when we tolerate the works of Satan. There are times when the old life tempts us. There are times when we take our hand off the plow and foolishly wallow back in Dagon's temple. And as we sit here this evening, some of you perhaps are in Dagon's temple. You're trusting in Christ, but yet you are willingly allowing Satan to snuffle out your love for God. You know, when you became a Christian, you loved Jesus so deeply. You, you, when you sinned, you quickly confessed your sin. Your heart was broken for God. You attended every Bible studies. You surrendered all your possessions, so to speak. They were at your disposal to those who could be helped. You opened your homes and allowed everybody to visit you. You spared time to visit others. If somebody offended you, you quickly forgave them. If somebody new came in the church, you looked out on how they can be cared for. You share Jesus with joy. But times now have changed. Satan has you ready and bound. Dagon's crows are crouching for you. And now what you find is that you're not seeking to disciple anyone. You rarely share Jesus with others. Things that are not so central, the gospel have become very big. Dagon has struck and has rendered you ineffective for God. Oh, my friend, recognize how far you have fallen. Cry out like Samson. Oh, Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. 
Friends, that's a prayer the Lord answers. If we cry out to God like that, He will hear us. Why? Because we are His children and we have received victory in Jesus our Samson. And so let's cry out to God this evening. Let's ask Him to strengthen us like Samson. But if we're not even bothered to cry out to God, to strengthen us, you know, churches are full of people who are not crying that prayer. They're not crying that prayer. And if they're not crying that prayer, sermon after sermon for God to strengthen them, they're just comfortable with Dagon. Then we know, friends, we know, don't we? There's something wrong there. Something is wrong. Because if you're not willing to surrender, as Samson does, to die to self, as Samson does, so that God's victory may be demonstrated in us. I think there's another sermon in that. We're not going to do that this evening. But notice how victory comes to Samson. It comes only by Samson dying to himself. It's so New Testament. Of course it is. The Bible is one story. But that's how we achieve victory in our Christian walk. Total surrender to Christ. So let us ask that God helps us. Because if we are not doing that, if we're not doing that, then we do not know Jesus. And if we do not know Jesus, then we only need to look at Dagon's temple. See the end of all who oppose God. The 3,000 souls lying down there, pointing us to eternal torment and judgment on those who oppose God's rule. They are crushed by God's wrath. And now in hell forever. But thanks be to Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his precious blood. Amen.